good to be with you, Pastor Jack and Carol. We love you with all our heart. Um, I think I said it, well, our whole church said it on your 70th, but we wouldn't be doing what we're doing unless you sent us, and uh, we're so grateful. And, uh, you know, there's hardly a a week goes by where we don't honour you, but honour you, because, of course, Melbourne was a project. Melbourne was a missions project. We wouldn't be doing what we do without you. And uh, it's extraordinary. Melissa sends you her love. Uh, She is preaching uh, to our family uh, this morning on Mission Sunday in Melbourne. And uh, it's so sweet to have Rachie with me. Rachel's actually living and working in Wollongong. Uh, So I have not seen her in a long, long time. So we got to spend some time together. Hey, why don't you take your seat? And uh, let's get ready for the Word of God. Hey, tonight, I'm going to preach a message entitled, I Must Get It Done. I Must Get It Done. And uh, you must come. (laughs) And I must get it done. But why don't we pray right now? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning And we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You're a God who reveals and tells us your will and your way for our life. Heavenly Father, we pray today that we would hear no one's word but your word. Lord, I pray that people might not hear me but would hear your word because it's your word that changes everything. Victor said it, our partner in the Bible Society in Israel on the video. It's the word of God that changes people's hearts. And so, Father, I pray today that your word would fall on the good soil of our hearts, whether we're here live in the auditorium or whether we're watching online. I pray, Father, for your presence to move and for your Holy Spirit to speak. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. On the 26th of September, just gone, Swiss credit agency released the 2022 Global Wealth Rankings based on per capita or per person adults' populations for countries all around the world. I wonder if you can guess which country ranked number one for wealth. I wonder. All the countries of the world. Which country in the Swiss global rankings rated number one? It was Australia. It was Australia. In fact, we've rated number one for the last four years in a row. Credit Suisse's report lists Australians as having the highest median net worth of just over $413,000 per adult. What does that mean? Net worth or wealth is defined by Credit Suisse as the value of financial assets plus real estate, including the family home and including retirement savings, 
from which debts are subtracted. So whatever you own or owe on a home or, or on a credit card, those things are subtracted and then you come up with this figure of per person, on average, 413000 Now, you might not feel like you're rich. You might not feel it. But what a ranking like this does, what, what a comparison like this does is it helps us stand back and look at the world and say, where are we? Where are we? Because sometimes when I just look at my world, I can feel I don't have enough. I can feel I'm barely making ends meet. But when I'm in a position where I stand back and I compare myself to the rest of the world, suddenly my view changes. You know, the median annual income of an adult in 2022 is $1,280. $1,280. That's what the average person in the world makes, not in a week, not in a month, but in a year. That equates to $3.50 a day. So I got thinking about that. You know, when we look at average weekly earnings in Australia at the moment, that yearly sum is earned by the average Australian in a week and a half in a week and a half. Most of us spend more on a single cup of coffee than what most people have to work all day to earn. Even those on a single pension receive the median global annual income in a fortnight plus three days. That's sobering. It's sobering. We can look at ourselves compared to everyone else in Australian society and go, oh, I don't have much. But when I stand back from that and I compare myself to the global community, all of a sudden I find myself in a different place. The Apostle Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, Hear this, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant but to, and not to put their hope in wealth. You know, when we're in an environment where there's so much focus on what we have compared to what another has, it is so easy to get into the commercial trap of being in the constant situation of discontent. What I have is not enough. I see what another has and I need more. Paul says to Timothy, command the rich 
which I think is you, it's certainly me, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Take hold of life that is truly life. Not allow life to take hold of you, the life that the world would give, but take hold of life that is truly life. So if Paul is saying to Timothy, take hold of life that is truly life, then it is also true that we can take hold of a life that is a counterfeit life, that is a life that is not real. A life that's an illusion with no real hope beyond the here and the now. I've officiated many funerals in my 30 years of ministry. Many. Hundreds. When I was a palliative care chaplain, I officiated hundreds of funerals. I've officiated funerals of babies. I've officiated funerals of teenagers. I've officiated funerals of... I think the eldest was 106, and everybody in between. Whatever you're currently focused on in terms of your wealth acquisition, the moment that you close your eyes in death, it's gone. It's gone. All the things that you have aimed for, all the homes that you've tried to scrape and save for, all the retirement savings that you've sought to, to build, the moment you die... It's gone. Have you ever thought or wondered, there must be more to life than this? There must be more. The Apostle James put it this way. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your life is like a morning mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. You ask today, any person in their 80s or their 90s, how long ago does it feel like they were young? And they'll say, yesterday, 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 just the blinking of an eye. On this Mission Sunday, I want to share three stories of people who have truly taken hold of life that is true life taken hold of life that has changed the trajectory of their life, taken hold of life, well, maybe I could put it this way. They've been in a position where eternity has taken hold of them. Eternity has taken hold of them. On the night of August 6, 1930, long time ago, after hearing an inspirational sermon by the Reverend Robert Hammond in the doorway of St Barnabas's Church Broadway here in Sydney, Arthur Malcolm Stace, who at that point had been an alcoholic living on the streets, gave his life to Jesus. He was inspired by the words he heard and he was enamored by this concept of eternity, that there is not just this life that we live now, but there is a life to come. This is the opening act of a greater life. Two years later, 
On the 14th of November, 1932, he was inspired again by the preaching of an evangelist, John G. Ridley, who shared a message entitled, The Echoes of Eternity, and it was based on Isaiah 57:15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is a contrite and humbler spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Those words that Ridley shared from Isaiah spoke deeply into Stace's heart and he would later say they were the impetus for him to share his faith every day for the rest of his life. The words of Ridley rang in his ears, eternity, eternity. I wish I could sound or shout the word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? In an interview, Arthur Space said, eternity went ringing through my brain and suddenly I began crying and felt a call from the Lord to write eternity. And even though He was illiterate. He could not write. He could not even write his own name. He had to put an X when he wrote his name. All of a sudden, he took a piece of chalk and he went to a pavement and he started to write the word eternity in beautiful copper plate print. And from that point, every day, he would wake up at 4 a.m., with a yellow piece of chalk and he would go to footpaths and he would go to railway stations and he'd go to walls. Even got in trouble from um, the town council of Sydney. They tried to to arrest him multiple times for for graffiti. But he would not stop. Even the bell tower in Sydney is the last place that they say where the true, you know, writing, he put it inside the bell tower. Everywhere that people might look, He wrote the word eternity. Why? Because he himself had been gripped by true life. He himself had been gripped by eternity. He'd been gripped by this desire. My life is bigger than the few years that I get to live on this earth. I've got a mission. And that mission is to bring as many people with me as possible into eternity. On New Year's Eve, 1999, I know some of you weren't alive, some of you were. The new millennium, the year 2000, eternity lit up the Sydney Harbour Bridge, inviting billions of people around the world to consider Where will you spend eternity? And that's the question on this Mission Sunday that I have for you. Where will you spend eternity and who will you spend eternity with? Where will you spend eternity and who will you spend eternity with? There's a second story I want to tell you about this morning. I've been very conscious. The years that Melissa and I have been in Melbourne, 
almost the same length, not quite, it's a few months short. Life has been very, very different for Pastor Ralph and Diana Rosas. Pastor Ralph is the pastor of our church in Mexico. A few months after we went to Melbourne, he was arrested for a, tr- a crime he did not commit and sentenced to prison in a maximum security prison where he had previously been chaplain. This week, I talked with Ralph. In fact, I visited Ralph twice in the last seven years, and I speak to Ralph quite regularly. This week, I was speaking to him, and I said, Brother, would you be able to write down for me, how is it that you have not become bitter and depressed? He's had multiple times where it looked as though he was getting out of prison. Multiple times. And every time, it hasn't come through. Hope's risen and dashed again. I want to share Ralph's own words with you. He said this. The Lord gave me a word and said, Ralph, I want you to build men. Men that become firm, stable, passionate for Jesus. Make a meeting. Build a team. Go make disciples of Jesus. Baptise them as an act of obedience and true relationship with Jesus. He promised he would be with me and he always has. So for the last seven years and seven months, we've built a good solid team of leaders. And those leaders took the discipleship training class that I put on and graduated and became teachers who are now teaching and disciple and discipling other classes. We have six classes going on right now and a seventh one is starting this Tuesday. Close to 350 men have graduated during the last seven years, seven months. The 12-month discipleship course that they must attend multiple times a week. Over 300 have taken the step of obedience and been baptised. Now, this isn't Ralph's words. I worked it out. Ralph has baptised somebody every nine days. He's been in prison. He's baptised a man every nine days. He's been in prison. He said, we have a follow-up discipleship program. Once the men have served their sentence and been released, and a couple of hundred of those have been We currently have 11 men staying in the home next to the church building. Of all those men who've completed and graduated the discipleship class and been released, maybe three to five have returned to prison. All the rest have continued to go forward, connected to and serving Jesus. Then he said this, teaching men to look at life with an eternal time frame, not a temporary one, has made me stay focused. He's in prison. He can't get out. He's in prison. He's curtailed. Well, is he? I wonder what prison is around you that you think is containing you. When you take hold of life that is truly life, 
When you allow eternity to take hold of you, whatever is going on in your world, whatever diagnosis has been pronounced over you, whatever financial situation you're in, whatever relationship thing is going on, when eternity has gripped your heart, you can live larger than you ever dreamed. You can be on mission, a greater mission than you ever imagined. But Imaginations Church, yes, we, we, because Melbourne and we, it's to us together. And I know I'm speaking to Mission Central, but I sense that God was saying to you today, and this will be said to Melbourne at some point, take hold of life that is truly life. Take hold, let eternity take hold of you. Step it up. Step it up. Things are getting harder and harder for the Christian church. From a world point of view, but from the breath of heaven, it is easier and easier. There are more people today open and willing to consider Jesus than ever before. But it takes Christians who see, I am on a mission. I am on a mission. And yes, our faith promise giving is part of that. And we praise God for that. Where my treasure is, my heart will be also. But I am called to be on a mission. And that, that DNA of getting eternity in my heart means I will do more to see indigenous church plants resourced and supported all over the world, where I'll see the acts of justice and mercy go further and wider and deeper than they ever have. But it's something that happens deep inside your heart and my heart. Recently... I had the profound opportunity, never thought it would happen, to be in Rome, Italy, our fourth daughter Bethany's studying over there for a few months and I had the very great privilege to take her to get her set up. I had a dream. I wanted to get her set up but really the only dream I had is I wanted to see where Paul was in prison in Rome. And where Peter was in prison in Rome, they were in the same prison, the Mamertinium prison, or Mamertine in English. I've taken a photo uh, that the, the team will put up. That's my, my photo. It's, it's, a bit hard, it's a bit hard to see because it's so dark. Paul was in this prison for three years. It's not known how long Peter was in the prison, but Paul was there for three years. This has been a prison for 2,700 years. It was only closed as a prison a few hundred years ago, and a church has now been built on top. In Paul's day, there were no walls, there were no bars, when you think of a prison like we might think of a prison today. In fact, what occurred was that people were lowered down into effectively three stories underneath the earth, into a stone cave. It had been used by 
thousands of prisoners. The stones are very smooth because of so many people being there. What made it a prison is that there was a spring at the bottom so the prisoners at least could drink. How they toileted, how they functioned, I, I have no idea. As I sat there, I had an hour by myself in that place and I, all sorts of things the Holy Spirit spoke which I, I can't speak to you today. But during the three years that Paul was in that dark, horrible place, every day not knowing whether today was the day that he would be executed, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. I'm reading them with new eyes. Hear what the Apostle Paul said from the context of this prison. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance for sharing his glory. Do you hear of a man contained? No. You hear of a man who is living life. A full, a rich life. A life who's imagining, yes, he's chained. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, and he's, he's in this dark hole of a place. But he's been gripped by life that is true life. Eternity has taken hold of his heart. And he's saying, Christ lives in you. When you get that revelation, it has to be shared. It has to be. And on this Mission Sunday... God is calling you and he's calling me. Brag on my son. Jesus is the best good news story that there's ever been. Christ lives in you. Christ is for you. Christ is not against you. When you read Paul's letters, particularly these letters, man, I... Melbourne is going to get a series like we've never had. Again and again, there's this urgency in Paul. There's this urgency. People must know. And that is the very DNA of everything that we do in missions. Everything that is beat away in the heartbeat of Pastor Jack everything that beat away in Pastor Mesa, everything that's beat away in those of us who've had the privilege of being sent out of this church in whatever form that, that now resides in, in how we're serving God, that missions DNA people have to know about Jesus. Yeah. Our responsibility does not end when our faith promise is given. We don't buy, oh, I've, I've bought that, 
I don't have to do anything else. Because life, that is truly life. That's what God desires to grip your heart. God desires for eternity to take hold of you. And so you see people with eternity's eyes. You see your own circumstance through eternity's eyes. And you're filled with great hope and great joy. Paul said this in Philippians. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or I've already arrived at my goal, but hear this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. He's pressing on from a prison. He's pressing on from a hole three stories on the ground. He's pressing on. He's pressing on. When you press on to take that hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you, your life becomes larger and richer and sweeter and filled with purpose. You realise you were born for more, no matter what. The heartbeat that was in Jesus, that none should perish, that all come to eternal life, becomes the heartbeat that is within you. Others, care for others, compassion for others, love for others, sharing the good news with others. That is the heartbeat that gets you up every day. Living to give, living to bless, living to serve. These are not cliches. These are mandates for which we deserve the right to take some breath. We deserve the right to step into tomorrow. I live to give. I live to bless. I live to serve. It becomes the motivation. Paul lived with a death sentence every day of his life. But don't you? And don't I? I've got no right to tomorrow. Neither do you. You don't know when your day is going to end. I don't want to arrive in heaven and look back and go, man, I regret that I didn't really take hold of true life, that I was too distracted by the trappings of what the world had to offer that too often I got dissuaded and delayed and detoured by the things that were just put in my way to prevent me from being about the mission to which God had called me. The worship team can come up. Paul took hold of life that is truly life. He took hold of eternity. He allowed the promise of eternity to take hold of him. He said this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is given in Christ Jesus, my Lord. He was saying that with absolute conviction. He was convinced because he'd taken hold of true life. 
He was not allowing any of the challenges that this world has. If you live, you've got challenges. If you're in relationship with people, hey, there'll always be challenges. You got bills to pay? Well, we've all got bills to pay. You know, the, like this is life. This is life. And Paul was convinced that nothing could separate him from the love of God because eternity had gripped his heart. He'd taken hold of life that was truly life. And that's why with real authenticity, he was able to say to his disciple, Timothy, hey, command, command those who are rich in this world not to focus on those riches, not to become arrogant about those riches, but to put their hope in God, not the riches, to put their hope in God. Command them to share. Command them to use what they have to point people to our Saviour Jesus. With real authenticity. Now, I've shared these three stories today because all of them are marked by restriction. They're all restricted. Every one of these men, they're challenged, they're restricted. There's things that are not going their way. And yet God used them and is using them in extraordinary ways. I know this family. If you can get hold of life that is truly life, if you can, your eyes open to the true life that God has for you, if you allow your heart to be gripped by eternity, allow eternity to take hold of you, there is nothing that God cannot do with your life. And so I want to pray. I want to pray for God's blessing over you as his people. Father, I thank you and I praise you today for mighty men and women of God in this house who desire not to be just focused on what this world can offer. But Father, are those who would take hold of life, life that is true life, take hold of eternal life and allow eternal life to take hold of them. I pray, Father, that you would extend their borders. I pray that you would extend areas of influence. I pray, Father, that, Lord, that you would cause prayers to be answered, prayers where people have been praying for salvation of family, of friends, of work colleagues. Father, I'm praying for, Lord, good fruit. I'm praying that, Father, you might cause a boldness to rise up. I know in this church, this is a year where, which has been declared as fearless. Well, Father, I pray that there would be this fearlessness that would come up when it comes to sharing the gospel. I pray, Father, that you might cause within your people just a, a godly boldness and a reverence for you to come up. And that, Father, Lord, the, the dreams and the visions that your Holy Spirit would speak that, Father, your people would see them come to fruition and that, Father, they would see the influence of their life for the kingdom of God grow and grow and grow. Father, I thank you and I praise you 
that you call us to a greater life than we could ever imagine or think. Father, bless your people. I pray in Jesus' name.